0: Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs. I am your host, Christy Haberman. I am glad you're here. Thanks for being a part of our community. A few disclaimers before we get started. I am a licensed therapist. However, this podcast is not to be considered mental health therapy or counseling. It is for entertainment purposes only and is not associated with my counseling practice, Christy Haberman Counseling Services. Thanks for showing up. Welcome to Grieving Insomniacs, this is Christy Haverman, and of course, Kai the Wonder Dog is here with me today recording the podcast episode. You can hear her snoring again in the background, and occasionally you will hear her um, clinking around as she moves around. I'm keeping it real about grief. I don't do a lot of editing of these podcasts, just because I want it to be real and I want it to be authentic. And this is who I am. So I was having a conversation with my husband this week about what we were going to talk about today on the podcast. And as always, he comes up with some great ideas. So what he said to me is, why don't you talk about the fighting that occurs among families after the death of a loved one? that happened in my grief. And it also happened with his family. um, When both of his parents died, he said it seemed like it was, um, it became all about the things. And for me also, it was all about the things. And as I was trying to t- talk to him about that, he just kind of shook his head and um, said it was just foolishness. So I decided to, to do a podcast on it to kind of help, at least from the loss of a child, to help other people try to understand what my thinking was at the time when my son died. And I also think this happens a lot with those of us that have adult children that die. And unfortunately, if the um, adult child is married, uh, the grieving parent really doesn't have a say in what happens to their things. So in my case, we'll talk about it a little bit. I went in and did some research psychological research. And in the research, I found several articles, and I just went on Google Scholar, and if you are interested in these articles, um, you can find them for yourself on there. And one of the concepts that I found in the research was that our things, our possession, our clothes, um, they help define us. How we dress defines who we are. Some people, you know, say that, you know, the goth people, the 80s people, you know, we look at people, how we dressed in the 80s. Those of us were that were still alive back then. And you can see, oh, God, <laughs> you know, the funky hair, the clothes, it's clearly recognizable. The 60s is clearly recognizable. And so in many ways, the clothing that you wear, how you dress, the style of your hair, all defines who you are. And then we can take it one step farther in our materialistic society where we live, the house we live in, the cars we drive, all of those things start to identify who you are, what your relation is to everyone else in this world, where your place is. So when you die, you don't need those things. Clearly, you don't need those things. But the people around you are connected to you through those things. And I think that's the hardest thing for people to understand is letting go of the things is letting go of the person. So I found a really good, and it's the only one that I could find. Ah. It would have been a lot easier, like if I have access to a research library, but I don't. And the article is, so you can look it up for yourself, if you would like, it's called Materials for Mourning, the Bereavement Literature in the Afterlife of Clothes. And this whole article was about research into why people connected to their things. And they read various grief memoirs. I actually wrote one myself. And they developed themes through this research. So their hypothesis was this. Sorry, I'm having trouble with the speech today. The power of clothing calls to mind our loved ones. So when we see that clothing, it brings up the memories that go along with the clothing, the thoughts that goes along in the, um, with the closet, clothing. And then our loved ones are represented by the clothing. So when I see something that my son wore, it's like my son was there. I can feel him, even though he's not there anymore because I can feel the clothing. And the clothing shapes and helps us share our memories. And this was another interesting idea. These are not my thoughts. These all came from this article. The clothing reunites the living and the dead. And that is so true for me. Because even now, when Christopher comes to me in a dream, and I remember him standing in that garage, it is one specific t-shirt that he wore, and his blue jeans and the way he wore them. So for me, most definitely, the clothing connects me to my memories of him. So there was a researcher, this was clear back in 1972, I had to look him up, CM Parks. So CM Parks believes that clothing was a transitional object. And so a transitional object would is something that helps you make a transition from one part of your life to another part of the life. So this would be when you put your infant children down and you're trying to get them off the bottle so you give them a pacifier instead. Or um, they have a special blanket that they use when they can't cuddle with mom. Those are transitional objects. So for those of us that are grieving, the transitional objects becomes the clothing. So I have talked about before in my own grief experience, um, Christopher was unmarried lived in an apartment by himself, but he did have a three month old daughter. And of course a daughter had a three month old daughter has a, a, a mother. And we had to empty out his apartment quickly. The lease was it was at the end of the month. We had to get rid of his things and I could not do it. I just could not do it. And even to this day, I was telling my husband about this, is I wish I had gotten a U-Haul and loaded up all of his things and brought them home. But you know what? They'd still be sitting in my driveway. That U-Haul, I probably would have rented it for 11 years so I didn't have to get rid of his stuff because I just wasn't ready. To get rid of his stuff meant that he was really dead. And I wasn't ready to say that he was dead, and it had happened so quickly. I had didn't hadn't even had the funeral. It just happened, or was it after the funeral? I think it was after the funeral. We left the day after, but it was still so close to when he died, and it was, and it was in such of a, a hurry, and I didn't have an opportunity to really go through his things and decide did I want this did I want that did I want this you know there's so much like and I wish that I've been able to keep his scrubs I'm not a nurse what would I do with scrubs but those are one of the things that just like kills me um I didn't keep as a clone I really wish I would have kept the cologne there's an axe spray they don't make it anymore phoenix rising that smells just like him I used to shower with it because I wanted to smell him. The clothing to me meant that I could still connect with him. And I just wasn't ready to let all of it go. And then being forced to let it go made me very, very angry, like very angry. And I was at my emotions were all over all over the place. I was up, I was down. And I wasn't rational. I know I wasn't rational. And I have no one to blame myself for that, but at the same time, it was too soon to get rid of his things. It was too soon, I wasn't ready. So in this conversation with my husband, I tried to explain that to him, is that after the death of someone, when people want to hang on to their things, and when they're fighting over who gets what, I really believe it's because they're trying to stay connected to the deceased loved one. They want to be, they want to be close to them and they identify with that loved one through whatever the object is. And then there's always competition, right? Between siblings and one sibling, what may want something and say, Oh, you always got your own way. So I need to get X, you know, and then the other sibling says, no, you always get your own way. I want Z. And then there's fighting. But really what all of that fighting is, and this is, this is me now talking, not a research article that I read is people trying to find their place, like their place in this grieving process. And they're, they're still trying to stay attached to the, to this deceased loved one that has just died. I mean, because in reality, my son was 6'3, like 220 pounds. You know, what was I going to do with all the shoes and, you know, all of his clothes and his furniture? I mean, I just wish I would have taken it all home. I'd still have it. I'd find room for it. I'd put it in my bedroom. I'd do something. I know I would have. But I didn't. I got rid of it all. And it was very, very hard. And I see in my support groups, too, where women that have adult children that are married and the parents are asking, how do I ask my son's spouse for an item of clothing or something to remember him by? And I think you just ask But you gotta ask in such a way So they understand the meaning of it Because they want to hang on to the clothes too Because they want to continue to stay attached to him Or her Just as much as you do And so it's sitting down Having a conversation about As hard as it may be Some of the things I just said It helps me stay connected to him or her. They also talked about in this article, which is kind of interesting, and I do it, it just about people that keep their coats and they call them jumper. This is uh, most grieving research about grieving parents comes out of the UK for whatever reason. Um, They talk about jumpers, which are actually just sweaters and that wearing a sweater or the jacket of the deceased person makes you feel like you're being hugged by them. And I still, I have my son's old coat. He left at our house and we moved it to South Dakota with us. That was over 20 years ago when we moved to South Dakota. So I've had it a long time. doesn't have a zipper. (laughs) I actually have it in my car. It's part of my winter gear. So if I ever get stranded, I can just slip it on. But It is my way of having him close to me is wearing his coat. I still have, I have two of his t-shirts still, and I have his pajamas. And 100% his pajamas were, and then the nice silk ones, which I can't even imagine him actually wearing, but whatever. Um, And I kept those too, and I used to wear those too. And I did that to keep them close to me so that I knew that he was around, he was, you know, it helped me be closer to him. And so if you're in this situation, where you don't have access to your loved one's belongings, or you have to have a conversation with the other person to see if they would give you something, is just be honest about it. Be honest about why you want it. And really examine your own motive for why you want it. Like in my husband's case, it was a car. And it was the brother-in-law that wanted the car and was insistent that he get the car. And I'm not sure that that was a circumstance that was motivated by attachment to the deceased loved ones, but I know it definitely was for him and his brothers. And, you know, God, I can't remember how many years ago that was. Anyway, he's still angry about it. Um, Still doesn't interact with that side of the family because he feels like, you know, that the fighting over that car was so unnecessary. Because him and his brothers and sisters, you know, was when their dad died, their mom wasn't doing very well. And they didn't have the language really to communicate about attachment. Because that's what we're talking about is attachment. And attachment really is just a connection to the other person. And maybe there was a real fear on the brother-in-law's part, that um, that the mom wouldn't get the money from the car and um, she wouldn't have the means to take care of herself. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that could have gone into it, but nobody sat down and had a conversation about it. And I really believe you need to have a conversation about it because the things, they help us connect to our deceased loved ones, but more than that, they help identify them. I still have a stocking cap that I wear, and I'm not sure it's Christopher's. It's a skateboarder one. And every time I put that thing on, um, the face looking back at me is not my own face, it's Christopher's face. And we are very, um, unlike my youngest son, me and Christopher are very similar in facial. We have a very strong jawline. We have both had very clear blue eyes. Like there was no way that you didn't know we were related when you saw us together. So wearing the stocking cap, I and mean, I'd be devastated if I lost that thing because it connects me to a time where Christopher and I were really close. I mean, it was in his early years of high school and he was an avid skateboarder. It's probably the best one of the best parts of my life. He used to bring his friends around. And that hat, that hat reminds me of that. You know, so it's, you don't have to keep it all but if someone is having a hard time letting go of it, just have some compassion. And if you're the spouse and you're listening to this, have some compassion for the your spouse's parents. Because they, They lost their hopes and dreams too. And oftentimes what happens with older um, children too is the grandparents lose the connection to their grandchildren through the death of a spouse. It's sad, it happens. I wish there were more states that had grandparent rights, but there's not. And the parents get to decide. And I think it's detrimental to the children too. So those of us that are parents of older children that have died, our road's a little bit different than someone whose child is younger. You know, teenagers, you know, kids in the middle school, um, they have full control over the belongings. They have full control over what they do with it, what they keep, what they don't keep. I guess unless they have divorced parents and you're not the custodial guardian, then that issue might come up. But hopefully, again, having a conversation about it and having some grace and understanding for the other person involved will help you navigate this very difficult part of the grieving process. I also see questions and I wondered about it myself. So it's been 11 years. Yes, I still have Christopher's things. I still have his cell phone. I have not pulled it out and listened to it lately. I do have all of his pictures. I have um, He had like a box of pictures he kept and um, bracelets and all these kind of things that um, I kept. And I still have them all. I still have a skateboard. And I intend to have a portrait painted on the skateboard and hang it on my wall someday. When I have the courage to do it, don't have the courage to do it right now. The skateboard's still under my house. but I still have all of those things and I don't think I'm going to get rid of them anytime soon. So when people ask how long, how long should you keep their room the same? How long should you hang on to their stuff? As long as you want is the answer. There's no right or wrong answer to that. It's as long as you want, as long as you are able to. In my case, so we had to fly to Louisiana. I did ship some things home. Like Christopher is huge into Kelvin and Hobbes. Um, I had bought them all for him when he was uh, middle school, high school range, uh, things like that. I shipped them all home. I couldn't take them on the plane, but man, I carried that skateboard. My best friend went with us and she said she felt so bad for me because our flight got delayed and, and, and I had I carried that, that skateboard with me for God knows how many hours. I think it was a night and a day because uh, I wanted that skateboard to come home. I was not leaving it, no way, no how was I leaving it. I had to leave so much other stuff behind. And it was quick. The only way to not make it quick would have been to pay another month's rent on that apartment. But I don't know what that would have done. I still wouldn't have been able to get the stuff home. And I could have just taken in, like I said, filled up a U-Haul and drove it home. And that's probably what I should have done, but I didn't. I just got rid of it. got rid of it to different people, to the goodwill. It's just heartbreaking to think about it. And I think about the house or the apartment that he was in. You know, the neighbors that said, oh, so what happened to him? We saw the ambulance take him away. I had to tell him he died. That was not fun. No one really thinks about this stuff, I don't think. They don't They don't think about how hard it is. How hard it is to let those things go. To let the clothing go, you know and it all goes back to identity. When the body's gone, so just think about this, when the body's gone, and the only thing that you have left in the clo- is the clothes, is what their room looked like, um, their hobbies, in my case, the skateboards. When that's all you have left, they become very, very precious. And you hang on to them tightly. Because usually the things have to go before you're even in a place of acceptance that they have died. There are still days that I'm not in acceptance that he died. I'll wake up some mornings and just want to talk to him. And I can't. I no longer wake up thinking that he's still alive. But I wake up wishing that he was still alive. But I, I mean, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. Besides have gra- grace and compassion for each other. So to sum it all up, is that there's no timeline for getting rid of their things. But you also need to understand that clothes and their things connect us to their, connects us to them. And then our our desire to hold on to them is our desire to keep from having to acknowledge that they died. At least it was for me. And so if you're in this situation, or you know someone, or you're sharing your grief with a loved one, um, maybe share have these kind of conversations and share these things. Because our, our attachment to people, our ability to make our loved ones still seem real, are connected to the clothes and the things. So have those, those conversations, have grace and, com- and compassion for each other, and just remember everyone's sad. We're all sad. Some people don't have the ability to be sad, they only have the ability to be mad. And just remember that feeling of being mad is not about you, it's about their own inability to cope. So this is Christie and Kai, as you just heard, scraping the floor, signing off for this Sunday. Thanks for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. It looks like by next Saturday, I'll have had 500 listens on my pet podcast. I can't even express how grateful I am to all of you that you feel what I have to say is worth listening to. I appreciate each and one of you. This is Christy signing off, keeping it real about grief.